Hello and welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson. I'm Aaron Sims. Today we have a gentleman who is second all-time still in goals scored in the American Hockey League for the Milwaukee Admirals, Charlie, and still going after, getting after it. I, uh, it, it's amazing the career that he has carved out, and it is amazing that he has been able to do it <laughs> seemingly on all one-year contracts, which is right. which, which is pressure. just wild, isn't it? That's yeah, that's pressure. That's betting on yourself. Uh, he's former Admiral Star Chris Mueller. Chris, great to talk to you. Great to see you. How's everything going? Thank you. Great, to, great to see you guys. And uh, it's been a long time. And I think we chatted this past summer, but uh, we did, yeah. But it, uh, that feels like ten years ago too. And, Doesn't uh, it? You know what? It's it's. I told somebody this the other day because we are almost exactly one year from when everything shut down in in March. Right. And I told somebody, it seems like yesterday in some ways, and it seems like a generation ago in, in some ways too. I mean, and you, the, when I talked to you in June, I I was looking back at my messages to see when it was. And I think it was in June, you had to go through the hell of not only being traded last year, right around that time, but having a baby on top of everything. Yeah. It's like you said, I don't know if it's been, one, it feels like a day or it feels like 10 years. I, it's, it's very odd. And I think a lot of people feel that way, but yeah, I was, when we talked uh, this past summer, which feels like 10 years ago to me too. <laughs> um, yeah, I was traded, um, was traded almost on the new year. And then uh, my family didn't come out to Sandy. We went from Syracuse to San Diego, three kids and a pregnant wife. Sasha was uh, seven months pregnant. And they Jeez. flew out. They flew out the first or the second day of All Star break. Um, we flew them all out, got settled um, back in San Diego, which was my second stint there. And you know, Sasha wasn't too too upset once she landed to uh, see the beach. Right <laughs> that, that trade definitely uh, solved a lot of things as far as happiness. Just as long as we got the family there, as soon as you see that scenery, you can't be upset. And but then not, you know, maybe six weeks later, all of a sudden, you know, the world changed as we know it. And we're still, you know, clawing our way back to normalcy, hopefully soon. We talked at the time about how, I mean, there's, we still don't know a lot, I guess. I mean, we know a lot more now, but, but at that time, man, the fear of going into a hospital when, when all of this stuff was just breaking. Yeah. Or a hotel even, right? Like you got to drive home. Like you don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, it was, you know, as everyone was, you know, panicking and, and looking for answers. And then on top of it, we're having a newborn, which is anxiety through the roof to begin with, even yeah. though, you know, we seem to have a baby every single year. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're kind of pros at it. My wife's pros at it, but like the, the simple fact that, you know, we were going back to San Diego. We had a lot, we've made a lot of close friends, friends outside of hockey that we, you know, this, you know, we have three kids when the baby comes, can you help us out? And, you know, a couple of older women that we met in an apartment complex now have houses there. They're like hundred percent, you call us, we'll be there all of a sudden no one can come over. Right. So we don't right. have any coverage. Our, our, my parents, Sasha's mom can't fly in. So Sasha starts having contractions in the middle of the night and we're like, all right, here we go. And I literally get all the kids in the car and drop her off at the hospital. And she walks in by herself and it's like, you know, she started crying, but she's got to be strong and you feel, but that's the world. And um, luckily we had her growing up, her, one of our close friends moved out to Laguna beach. 
And they drove in. They said, you know, we're, we're coming. We'll stay overnight. We'll watch the kids for a day or two, whatever you need. And, you know, they came in and almost kind of isolated with us while I got to the hospital. And, you know, she, uh, for it being the fourth kid, it went knock on wood longer than we thought it would. And I was there to be there on time and everything and everything went smooth and worked out. And, but it was scary. And, and, you know, you feel bad for your wife walking in with her bag, ready to right. give birth. And you're like, all right, I hope I'll be back, you know, and she checks herself in and, but Sasha's, this was her fourth one and, and we've been through a lot and she's done it before. And, you know, she's amazing, um, amazing mom and, you know, knows, knows everything that was going to get thrown at her, even though it was a crazy pandemic. And luckily everything was healthy. And to be honest with you, once you got past getting coverage for the other kids, everything's healthy. The hospital was a ghost town, like no parking lots, no one in the hallway. So it was just so quiet. And, um, you know, the nurses are amazing, obviously, and take care of everything. So as hectic as the anxiety was once you got in the hospital and everybody was safe for it to be a ghost town and almost just calm. It was kind of like, okay, this is a lot better. And, you know, the people, whether it was doing the, the daily giving birth or fighting the pandemic, I mean, they're the heroes. They're the people that need to be recognized. I know there's a lot of, a lot of opinions politically, whatever you want to call it, but the people who, took care of business medically should be the ones we keep talking about throughout this whole thing. Yeah. So how long did you guys then stay in San Diego before you decided, okay, time to go home to roughly Detroit where you stay in the, uh, in the off season. So we had our, uh, I I rented an Airbnb for four months and we had that through uh, the month of May, you know, in case of playoffs, I've been lucky. It seems like every year we go far in playoffs. I've gotten to play on some good teams. So you have, and it's, it's not a bad place to, if you do lose out, just to stay in. <laughs> so um, we had it until the end of May. And then as a pandemic, we're like, what, you know, what should we do? Maybe we'll just stay here, you know. And then things started to get scarier all over the world. Borders started to get closed down, even though we weren't crossing. So we just started thinking, should we just get home to Michigan? Or it's nice weather. So even though you're supposed to be locked down, Michigan weather versus San Diego weather. It feels a little lighter. At least we're getting fresh air. You know, they closed all the beaches down for a little bit. So it was like a tease. You know, I'm not crying wolf here saying I was in San Diego, but at the same time you see the beach, but you're not allowed to go on and it's a big tease. Um, And then I got a message that our flights got, uh, and I'm sounding a little spoiled here, but when you travel with four kids and newborn, you kind of just want to make it as quick as possible. So all of a sudden they said your direct flight out of San Diego is not direct anymore. You got to stop in Utah. And then I'm like, so in a pandemic, I got four kids and newborn. I'm going to have to get on a plane, get off a plane, get on a plane, get off a plane. Like, this is going to be crazy. What do we, you know? So I did a bunch of research with Delta and ended up driving up to LA, flying out May 11th, um, you know, rented a car, flew out May 11th, direct flight LA to Detroit. So we stayed till May 11th. Wow. Wow. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. We, we've talked to a lot of guys, you know, guys, you played with uh, Van Gilder. Uh, uh, you never played with Victor Bartley, but they're just telling us their stories of coming from Europe when this whole thing hit. Yeah. This might be this might be the sort of the craziest story, though, because yeah. you throw in a seven month pregnant wife and eventually a newborn in it. And that's uh, 
that's quite an experience. Certainly, you don't forget the birth of any of your children, but that one, that one will be uh, special to remember for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And she's a La Jolla, California baby. So I think that'll be cool. To- <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Born in a place, I think that might be one of the best places to be born. So yeah, that's great. Let's, t- let's go back to the start of your career. When you end up in Milwaukee, you had, uh, you'd played at Michigan State. I'm curious when the pro game for you became a reality. Did you know that was going to be? Did you start talking to agents, all of that at Michigan State? How did you know that this was going to be a career? You know, that's, it's, it's funny you ask that because I feel like nowadays young kids think and not think, and I think it's a positive and a negative that whether they're drafted or not, they should be in the NHL day one, or they see maybe guys they played in junior with playing and they're like, why am I not? And, right. and for me, it wasn't really a reality. My, you know, I, my dream was to play D one hockey in college, um, win a national championship and, you know, I didn't get drafted. So you don't get drafted. You kind of don't realize you can still make it. You know, it's the hill's a little steeper, but yeah. So I got a, I got a tryout and I played with Lake Erie, which is Cleveland now at the time, my first year pro, but even then I was, you know, I was fourth line. I got sent to Johnstown for three games only, but still sent to the coast. So it was like, is this going to be a career or you just, you know, am I playing, you know, honestly, you know, to be honest, wasn't making a ton of money back then. Um, and, and, and if I, if I could just interrupt for one second, people think of the ECHL as like, Oh God, why would you ever play in the ECHL? You're a division one player, uh, a guy who helped his team, his team win the national title and you're playing in the, and ECHL. one of the most prestigious institutions, institutions for college hockey, right? There are really good players playing in the ECHL. Yeah, Anyways. no, no. I remember I, I was, I didn't get drafted. And then my best friend, Brian Lurk, he signed a nice deal, got a nice bonus, went to Edmonton um, and went to Springfield and I didn't get anything. And, you know, I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. And then I got sent to Johnstown. They signed me and I got sent to Johnstown. And like you guys said, I wasn't, I didn't think I was unbelievable, but I was playing at Michigan state, won a national championship captain thinking you're a good player. And I remember I was in the lobby and I, like, I started crying. I'm like, is this it's like, go from Michigan state to East coast, which people think the coast is a coast. But like you said, there's a lot of players that grind their way. And if you're not, there's a lot of players I feel that go there, have fun and stay there. And there's a lot of players that go there, get, get pissed off, want to get to the AHL and then they grind their way up. And that was kind of what I felt is, is this going to be it for you? Like what go for Michigan state national championships, thinking you're the best to maybe just get weeded out or, you know, figure it out, do whatever you got to do to play on the fourth line in Lake Erie. And I did that after six, six uh, days. I remember six days in Johnstown and did whatever I had to do to play in Lake Erie. And then uh, broke my hand at the end of that year. So then I didn't know what to do at all. I'm like, now what am I going to do? And, I remember I was, Herbie was the head coach of Johnstown, I believe. Sure. Right. Does that make sense? I yeah. think that, I think that is correct. Yeah. He, I can he hold was, on. I'll, I can. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ian Herbert's head coach. Yeah. So, and I think that to be honest with you is how I got the tryout. I was at, I was, I was friends with Drew Miller and Ryan Miller at Michigan state and Ryan had a house in East Lansing was letting me stay there. And the NHL camps are going on didn't have a job. I'm like, I don't like, do I finish, stay, finish school? 
And I got a call saying, get to Milwaukee on Monday. This was Saturday. Get to Milwaukee on Monday. You have a tryout. And that's, that was the start of my career. And that's where I met Lane who, you know, fell in love with me. And, and I was very fortunate to get an opportunity with the head coach. I mean, he, even though I, I started on the fourth line, got sent to Cincinnati, I think for a weekend, I called right back up and then I just took off under lane because he saw something and believed in me and was like, just keep going. And, you know, I did, I, that's what I did. I didn't stop. So I think what? lane would be a great coach for that. You look at his career. It, it, it seemed to me that everybody had a clean slate when they came yeah. in to see lane. Right. And oh, like, you look at his career, he was a second round pick. He was scoring 20 goals in the NHL when he was 18 but then he had to grind to stick around. I mean, yeah. he, you know, a long time in the and he IHL didn't. back then. Right. Yeah. yeah he, a long time in the IHL. Yeah. No, he, I mean, I think, I think I'm, a, I'm I've earned the right to see, you know, because I played in the American league for so long that guys need a chance. They need an opportunity. And there's some guys that don't get it. There's some guys that do get it and ruin it. And there's some guys that take off and don't look back. And Lane was my chance. I mean, he, I played fourth line. I, I penalty killed. I grinded it out uh, and I just started chipping away points here and there. And he started rewarding me, rewarding me. And I think by the end of that year, I was playing ironically who Cal is still playing me and him. Yeah. The two old guys. Yeah. I finished playing in playoffs. I think that year with Cal and Mike Santorelli, the best two players on the team and yeah. go from a guy who, didn't have a job during NHL training camps to playing with two future NHLers there was awesome. And then I just took off from there the next year. So, I mean, I mean I, I, my, a lot of my career and my success started like it wasn't for lane. It could have been a coach who didn't care and didn't give me a chance. And I probably wouldn't, you know, well, and, and so often, right. Like you said, you're not a draft pick. And then on top of that, you weren't really, you'd played for another organization, right? Yeah. So you were not, you know, you weren't signed by, by Sean Deneen or, or a scout like that or out of right. college, right? You were, you were already somebody's goods before you got here. So those guys, uh, I, those guys have to really catch an eye, I think, yeah. right? The, the politics of this game you find out about, I think pretty early in your career. No, it's, 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 yes, you do, unfortunately. And to be honest with you, it's a big reason why some guys make it and some guys don't. Sure because of, and I don't, you know, people listening, I sound like I'm pitching for a job as a mental development coach. (laughs) Like I've seen so many players over my years make it and not make it purely based on just being pissed off that they're down or, and and believe me, I've, I've had my arguments with my fair share of head coaches and whether, you know, when I wanted to work and not work, but you player management and the mental aspect of the game and what a player goes through when they get sent down it, you know, I, when I would, when I finally was getting called up and then sent down, I was, you know, crabby in a bad mood and that's human nature. And you need people, you need good veterans, people in the organization to be like, Hey, like you're all right, pick yourself up and keep doing it the right way and trust the process. And I know that's such a cliche, but it is a process and if you put the time in, it's not about talent. You know, you're there because you have talent. It's about, yeah. you know, what are you going to do next to, to, to beat that next guy out? 
like you, like you say, you've been, I mean, you've been a pro for a long time. I bet you could right now, and I'm not going to ask you to do this. I bet you could list off a dozen guys who had NHL talent, but had, had, you know, had uh, uh, minor hockey mentality, it, yeah. right? They no. just couldn't, they couldn't That's handle the rejection. They couldn't do what you did who, you know, you, you think yourself, Hey, I'm a, I'm a top line guy. I have top line talent, but they couldn't, they couldn't alter their game to play fourth line minutes like you could. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's, that's the, that's the, the trick or the, the, the secret. And, and now that's kind of the, the job of me or Cal now in an organization, you know, we're not going to, we're not playing to get called up. We're playing to produce, help a team win. But at the same time, the first, second rounders that do get sent down, you know, they don't want to hear what they did or didn't do from the head coach or, you know, the GM, because those are the people that setting you down, right? They, they need right. to hear like, you're all right. You have three-year contract, put the work in and you will be right back. Like you're an investment. Like, and like you said, there's a lot of players that didn't, didn't want to hear it. And they unfortunately withered away. And there were some guys not, not, I'm just saying like me, but some guys that did way better than me. And I think it's a big of not getting drafted. So we don't have that. Um, the best, you, you know, I, I should be up there now. We're like, we need to scratch and claw for every shift we get. And as you get rewarded, you're like, this is, you know, this is awesome. Like, I'm going to keep, you know, grinding away at this. So, well, and on top of that, the implied pressure of being a first or a second round pick from the organization, right? Like you, we're giving you your three-year entry deal. You got to produce. If, you, if you're not here, right. if you're not here in year two, there's something wrong. Social media is going to be all about Absolutely. what's wrong with this guy. It was a blown pick and all of this stuff, right? You're the biggest yeah. bust ever. Yeah, because you're their investment. Right. And so and, and but when do when do you realize you that's a key point right there? You're their investment. That is like that that should be on page one, paragraph one of any. Uh, understanding of any yeah. understanding of becoming a professional athlete. Yeah, for sure. Like, cause a lot of times, you know, younger guys are like, you know, coaches and a-hole he's yelling at me, like, or GM, they don't, well, if you don't make it, that's on them. They picked you. Right. Right. So right. Like, if you don't make it, they might be out of a job, you know, like, so they like, and that's where you need to realize they're not yelling at you. They're not hard on the rookies because, they don't like you. It's because they need you to get going and produce and be an NHLer because, you know, again, they're, your, you know, you're their investment and the players who buy into that process. And, and again, I've been through it. It sounds like a cliche. It sounds like I'm turning into a coach, but <laughs> it's, it's, there's only a few guys every year that are NHL ready, God given, and you can't touch the rest of us. The, you know, even the really good hockey players, you got to go through some growing planes, just becoming like, a man. I mean, when you're 18, 19 year old, yeah. I was going to college, I was a little kid and you play against 26, 27 year olds in the American league that those are men, you know, like those are like, men that pick up things year after year. And you know, the, pro game, the pro game is about almost making the game easier for your, your line mates and yourself. And making it hard for the opposition. And sometimes young kids just need some time, but the mental aspect I think is a, a huge part of the game that I think is still overlooked by a lot of organizations. The, uh, 
uh, at what point did you real think to realize that you're not a fourth line grinder anymore? It's got to be the fr- your first year in Milwaukee, I would assume, where like you can play with the you can play along Mike Santorelli and Cal O'Reilly or K- with Cal and, and and Mike and be successful and like you're not just getting points because Cal's got you know great uh, he's he he can dish the puck and things like that, but you're actually producing because you're a high end player. At what point did you realize that? Yeah, I don't, you know, it's tough to look all the way back and say one specific. <laughs> I guess that's 15 years ago, right? <laughs> game, um, because I think I still finished with, like, I, I, if I'm wrong, maybe 20-some points that year. Yeah, 27 goals, points. 14 assists, yeah. yeah 14, so, yeah. and now if I finished with that, I'd be very upset with myself. <laughs> right. Um, but I think that playoffs, I had a really good, I think, did we lose to Chicago possibly? Yeah, 10, yeah. yeah. And I think I had a good few games and I was on their line and just that confidence. I'm like, okay, you know, I, you know, I just played on the top line in playoffs against Chicago and I did well. I think it's time to, that I could take a step the following year. And I remember going into training camp in Nashville, Lane came up to me and was like, I'm just excited to watch you skate and play this year. And like, just right there, I was like, all right, this guy's already expecting me to be a, a producer like from day one and I'm right. still only on an NHL contract. I'm not on an NHL deal, but this guy is already coming up to me. day one a training camp and saying, you're basically going to be one of the leaders. And I think I started, I don't know that year going into Christmas. I think I had like 10 goals in 10 games or something or close to it. And then Cal got hurt in Nashville and they called me, they flipped my contract. So, right. Like you, you couldn't be called up to Nashville because right. you were on an AHL deal. And so they had to turn, burn your contract and, and sign you to a two-way deal. That's a, that's just, it goes to show you how well you were playing because certainly there were other guys on the team that were NHL contracts, but you demanded almost by your play that they call you up. That's a, that's a testament to what you were doing. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was, you know, I remember going in the office and calling my parents and you know, because you, like you said, you're on a miracle league deal. You, you can't get called up. So they right. have to rip that contract up. And so you really have to do something to force, you know, Lane to force Fenton, to, you know, to force Poyle to say, Mueller needs to be called up. He deserves it. So so did Lane, we, we always ask this of every guy who, or not every guy, but most guys who come on, tell us how you found out that this was going to happen, that you were getting called up. Did Lane tell you? start with the start with the contract first off like was that was that a package deal like you you, you it's a new contract and you're getting called up or was it just yeah. a new contract yeah. it was it was all together yeah so I'll, i remember it i just wanted to make yeah, sure. yeah absolutely i don't want to blow you away with numbers because back then but <laughs> I was, i'm okay to say it now because i've done i've done okay uh financially in america league but i was making 45 grand on a one-way ahl deal and you know, playing well. And Lane brought me in his office after practice. I think it was December 26, possibly. It might have, It was right after Christmas because I think my first game was December something. Yeah. And uh, he was like, call your agent. Like you, you're, he's, or he might have said call your agent, but he's like, you're playing against Dallas tomorrow. And I'm like, what are you talking about playing against Dallas? Like new team in the American League or something? And <laughs> he was like, you're, we're ripping your contract up and you're getting called up and you better go play well. And I like, I still didn't know what to say. Didn't even, you know, 
like, how is this possible? I didn't even think of getting called up just because of the American League contract. I was still just wanting to be a good AHL player. You know, that was my goal and, and to keep producing, but still worried, you know, there's a coast down there. I don't want to go back down there. You know, like I'm not right. one special. And he said that. So I called my, my dad and said, I'm going to Nashville tomorrow. And, you know, they Nashville flew my parents in for my first game. So it was, it was pretty, it was pretty amazing. And I stayed up, I think for 15 games. Um, yeah. So from going from making 45 grand to, you know, double quadrupling or 15, uh, 150% in my, my savings account in a week was, was pretty nice. <laughs> but then, then you kind of be like, all right, this is a lifestyle that you want to work for no matter what. So um, that was just an amazing, amazing experience. An amazing thing. Like we got a guy here in Lehigh. I don't want to say his name, but American league deal. He was in the coast last year and he's, he's been our best player by far score in every game. And I've just been telling him like, I was you, man, you're, well, you're actually faster and better than me at this point, but you're going to get an NHL deal soon. Just keep. And and that's kind of uh, been like a, undercover pride thing that like I could maybe single out a guy and being like you're an AHL guy but you're going to get an AHL deal if you keep doing what you're doing and I think guys who then researched me oh he he did not have an NHL deal and he got called up so he must know what he's talking about and then we kind of get a chemistry going and a friendship and it's it's then it's kind of cool to now look back on some of those guys that they didn't make and it's pretty cool. That it you, does happen to guys. I mean, I think before me, I remember Lane saying, you know, Rich Peverly was the same thing, I think. So. Right. Yep, indeed. Indeed. You, you, you had mentioned before about talking to young guys and, and telling them they're okay and settling them down and all of that stuff. Who did that for you when you come back? And what was your attitude when you come back? It was your t- first taste of the NHL, but you're up there, you said, for 15 games. I mean, did you come back? Uh, mad as hell or did you come back uh like wow that was great and now i got a little more work to do and next year will be a new year you know what i think looking back at my career i think sometimes guys and i was like this because you're very nervous up there like and, and for especially for me i played a lot early on in nashville not to make a mistake and i mean i scored a lot in milwaukee and why, why couldn't I score in Nashville? I had a few goals, but I didn't play the same way. I was almost playing timid and nervous. And I wish I would have t- taken the anxiety out of it and just went. And, you know, yeah. went Say the hell with it. What happens, yeah. happens. But I tell you what, too, Chris, uh, back then when you got called up, that was really the time where more so, I think, then – that Nashville, when you got called up, you were going to play three minutes with the fourth line guys, right? I mean, that's that's how all the call-ups were, no matter what. You could have, you could be 120 pounds, but you were going to be on the fourth line and expect to yeah, be an energy guy. I think I think my stat line was three minutes and 47 seconds with, with Wade Belak. I remember it was me, Spalls, and Wade Belak, he fought the first shift. Yeah. <laughs> so then you're out, yeah, so then you're pretty much done for the first period if he fights. Oh, yeah. That's what Spalls looked at me while we're seeing goes, we're done. <laughs> so, uh, but you're, you know, you're right. Like it's hard. You go out there, you're wanting to buzz around, but you don't want to be a minus that's for sure. And, um, and I still, I think, 
I always carried myself very humbly and didn't want to say a whole lot and, you know, overstep. I'm in Nash- Nashville, you know, Shea Weber, Ryan Suter, Pecorine. You're just a little guy, you know, you, you talk when they tell you to talk basically is how I, I did. And it wasn't, they were unbelievable people, but that's just how I carry myself. And some guys go in and, and they're overstep their boundary and it might hurt them, but at the same time, they play with that swagger too. And I think it helps them. And right. But I do think it's a different era where they're getting 14 minutes their first game. They might make a mistake. They're not getting sent down. If I make a mistake, I'm coming back to Milwaukee on a one-way plane ticket. That's for sure. Right. You know? and, I, I, I mean, this is this is a little before your time, but uh, I remember uh, we had a guy here from Czech Republic, Libor Pivko, and he played two games up with Nashville and didn't play well. And Barry Trotz is quoted in the newspaper basically saying like. This guy shouldn't have been out there. He's not an NHL player. And guess what? The next day he's coming back because yep. he's just wasn't, a, he wasn't, a, he wasn't afforded the opportunity. And I he don't never played again. He never played in the NHL. Never played again. again. I, I don't know, you know, anything about the games or anything. This is in 05, 06. So like yeah. a long time bef- uh, uh, before there, maybe actually 03, 04. But, uh, but to your point, it's, it's, it's hard not to play timid, right? It's hard to be yeah. brash. For sure. uh, especially if that's not your personality, because that isn't your personality. You're not yeah. a braggadocious type of guy. Yeah, I think it's, you know, I think it's a combination of maybe the air, like you said, like you back then you were a young guy, you were a rookie. It was hard. And you were, I'm not saying these, you know, the millennials, I, w- I don't want to be that guy, but there it's a different culture, right? You know, as far as the kids coming in and everybody wants things now, 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 and you got to coddle some guys and it wasn't like that back then with Lane and, you know, Fordo and Yonkman and Tristan Grant as your vets. You weren't getting any coddling like Lane. Lane no, Lane, Lane didn't do much coddling, did he? No, no. So, but you know, I, I do look back and sometimes when you get a relief, you get sent down, it's like a relief. I'm back with my buddies. I'm on the power play. This is going to be fun. And then summer comes and you're like, what? what's wrong with me? Like, why didn't I do whatever, like, why didn't I fight and get beat up in front of 20,000 fans? If that's what they wanted, you know, like, why didn't you do whatever it took? Because now you need a contract, you know, now you're sitting in summer guys are playing in the NHL playoffs and you're just waiting for that phone to ring and and waiting and waiting. So um, it was just a combination of opportunity, confidence. um, And that's kind of what I try to, that my experience, my grinding, making it, doing better, but also my shortcomings, I think is what I try to, you know, help with the younger guys. Just, you got to seize your moment because there's always a new crop of guys coming for sure. And even this crazy fake, whatever year you want to call it, whether we're going to do playoffs or not, 24, 38 games, you're still being critiqued. You're being evaluated. Absolutely. You know, and there's still another wave of draft picks coming next season. So. Uh, that 10-11 uh, that season, I wanted to get to that because I'm looking at the playoff series against Texas, which is an all-timer, uh, and then the playoff series against Houston, which didn't end Milwaukee's way, but is an all-timer. Like, they're just tremendous. What a team. What a yeah. team. And, and look, that, that game six game, that game six against Houston, um, Ryan Ellis scored his first pro goal in that game. Roman Yossi had an assist on that. Uh 
you had your fourth goal of the playoffs, uh, and which tied the game. Kelsey Wilson scores the winner at 61 seconds of overtime. I, I want to talk about the team in general, but first that goal in overtime, that game six overtime goal. Do you remember much about it? And I mean, cause it had to be like right off the face off. It was, it was a minute one into the, into the overtime session. Do you remember that at all? I'm trying to recall. I've been, there's been so many years and yeah. Um, I mean, it's 10 years. We're almost exactly 10 years you know ago. What? I, I remember the eliminating goal that Houston scored. I, oh, with I ended up laying three down. Three minutes left, yeah. It was, like, it was like a two-on-one, and I remember back-checking. And that Casey down. Wellman? Was that yeah. Casey Wellman? I remember that. Um, but, I, you know, I, you, you, a couple of those names you mentioned, like, <laughs> I think a Yossi, you know, not in the rink, out in, you know, the bar, and where he is now as a young man, Norris Trophy, a leader, and you're just so proud in Ellie. Like I remember my last year in Milwaukee, we got eliminated uh, down in Texas and Ellis was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be back. Like, I don't know if they like me and now look what he's done. And right. just, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to run a power play with Roman Yossi and Ellis. And then I was fortunate enough to run a power play in San Diego with Brandon Montour and Shea Theodore. And Pretty. Those guys are doing okay. <laughs> to, to, uh, I'd like to take all the credit and maybe they could throw me a check here and there, but right. uh, <laughs> uh, to be able to run a, a, a power play with those guys on your unit, um, it's, it's, it's pretty special and it's pretty cool just to see what they're doing. And, you know, well, also message them every once in a while and it's good for them to, you know, immediately message me back and, and just like old times. So, yeah. Here's here's a name that uh, certainly you remember because everybody remembers something about this guy, Linus Claussen. What was it like playing with Claussen on and off the ice? Uh, I tell you what, it was one of the easier years while he was healthy. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I think right. He got a lot of tapping goals, and um, uh, he he was a character. He almost brought me along with him the next year to Sweden. Um, really? He signed, he signed a monster deal, and he was yes, he the biggest, de the biggest deal. deal in second league history. I think he got like a three million dollar bonus or something, and he that I think was so that was Klaus my last year in Milwaukee. No, that was no. ten eleven. You had yeah. two more years after that. So, but it was I just got called up, right? That right. was the year you were called up to Nashville for the first so, time. So they, they offered me not what he got offered, but they offered me a lucrative deal. But I got my first taste of the NHL and I was like, no, like I had the carrots in front of my face. Like I'm going for this. I'm making the NHL. And looking back, I, I'm happy with my decision. But I remember some of the, the shootout moves, some of his celebrations. We had to calm him down before he got beat up. And <laughs> uh, Yeah, he would not have fared well. If the, if the gloves dropped, no, no, but he, uh, what, great, great. What I, you know, I still talk to God, you know, I still mention his name. Like you talk about hands, like Keller, oh, the best, maybe the best hands we've ever had. Yeah. And then I said, well, YouTube Linus Clausen, and then tell me what you think. And it's crazy. Yeah. And his him, he, I always just, remember him and Blake Jeffrey on, and I'm sure Dave Randolph, the old equipment manager just hated those two because they would be out on the ice forever and blake was talking 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 and linus was probably talking too but yeah. he was shooting and deking and doing all of this stuff right and they'd be out there an hour longer than they should have been yeah, yeah. No, for sure yeah and boomer doesn't 
doesn't doesn't close his mouth and uh, <laughs> I, I, talk, I still talk to boomer and he's doing he's in with columbus now so florida now florida now he switched florida. to florida this off season yeah yeah he went with billy zito down to florida yeah billy zito and my so billy was my old agent and then brett pearson was my old agent so they stole him i gotta uh, <laughs> yeah i can call him for my if i can hang on until i'm 36 now Linus Clausen is i think the first guy who did the shootout move where you just go three miles an hour. You start off fast and you go slower, 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 slower. Now there's, I mean, they had to make a rule basically saying, well, you know, you gotta, the puck's gotta be moving all the time. And that was, that was sort of his, uh, that was his thing. And God, did it piss goalies off too, right? Like guys hated that when he, when he did that and he always scored too, because his hands were just. Uh, He he was amazing. I I remember it because I usually, I played the half fall and then he came and, he was like, I'll play the half fall. You just be by the net and you'll score. And I'm like, no. And then it, he did a couple. I'm like, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> That's great. That's so, great. You had, you, after your, your, uh, after the, that season, the 10, 11 season, you go in 11, 12 admirals haven't lane is gone. He's up in Nashville. Kirk Muller's the, the head coach. Did you, and, and Kirk, you know, you didn't, you grew up, you're a Buffalo kid. So uh, did you know a lot about Kirk coming in? Like Captain Kirk and this legendary Canadians player, last guy to help him win the cup. And what was it like playing for Kirk? You had, and, and I'll preface it by saying the second most, the second high number, the second most goals in Admiral's AHL history that year, you had a 32 goals, uh, phenomenal year, but it was a tumultuous year from a, a coach's perspective. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, uh, I didn't know a whole lot about Kirk, um, but it was a good, obviously you respect the name and respect him right away. I think he, it was an adjustment for him because he's, because he had to ride a bus to Peoria. (laughs) He's used to the NHL and you know, there's not many bad hockey players in NHL and in the American league, there's guys that are very good. There's guys that struggle. And I think sometimes his patience for the guys that struggle and you're like, well, Kirk, this ain't the, you know, this isn't the Montreal Canadiens. Like there's guys that need to learn the game. And I, I remember he was always really hard on me and Gabriel Bork to shoot the puck more and stuff. But then, uh, well, Taylor Beck told us the same thing. Taylor Beck said it was hard to get some time with him too. No, for sure. Yeah. And, um, I think cause he just, you know, look what, look at his career and he expected greatness or, and good for him, you know, and, and, that was his way to push his players. So if, if he made you a little bit better, he did his job. And um, I know, I think we, we played Charlotte, got swept by them and he didn't get on the plane. And we're like, what, did, was that our game plan to lose? And then he gets the job. <laughs> so we were joking about that, but then I, um, Herbie took over. But I think that uh, that year, you talked about how good of a year I had. I think I played with Borky, Gabriel Bork, uh, I think, right? Yes. Yep. Yep. And he, I mean, to play in the American League with a kid that went 100 miles an hour, but Just also that motor. you a puck on a two-on-one, like that's a, that's a, a a guy's a centerman's dream, and he was unbelievable. Like I, he was one of the best players, you know, as far as playing in the American League to play with for sure. And my, he's one of those guys that I wish. I mean, you, you don't wish ill health on anybody, but man, you you know, I mean, he was he, he's five seven of battering ram. Yep. Right. Like, I mean, the, the motor on that guy was, it is amazing. Yeah. No. And, and to be honest with you, that's another guy too, that that's when I was getting, I would be like the first call up and sent down. And I remember telling my wife being like, if Borky gets called up, he won't come back. Like that, like he will, 
earn his NHL uh, potential and, and his NHL roster spot. And he did that. I, I think I think he got called up, and I think they played the Wings that series, and I think he led the, the Nashville in goals that year. So I, that, that's a guy that I, I look back on my time in Milwaukee that made me a much better hockey player. And I don't know if he has a contract right now or if he's, if he's done playing, but um, – Last I remember, he was uh, in Colorado, uh, I yeah. think, right? Yeah, he was. But I don't know if he's playing again this year. Yeah, but again, like, he he played in the NHL, then came back to the American League, yep. and then made it back to the NHL yep. because of who he is and how he plays the game. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, I think he had some tough injuries because he almost played too hard at times for being a little guy. But right. There's a kid that earned his call up and earned his stay in the NHL. And, you know, lucky I got to play with him. He was a really good kid off the ice and a fun, a funny uh, accent too. <laughs> As you say, he seemed so quiet, but when he, when he spoke, it was, yeah, it was, it was a, a, the great, um, the stereotypical yep. Quebec accent. Yeah. 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 <laughs> For sure. Certainly a game that you remember. I call it the April fool's day massacre. Uh, April 1st, 2012 against Rockford and uh, uh, Rob Flick goes after Jeremy Smith. Tell us, take us through what happened. You were one of the first guys yep. off the bench. I think you were the first in. one in the fray. Yeah. Right. We watch that video all the time. Uh, yeah, I, didn't get, I didn't get a penalty. I didn't get suspended. I, <laughs> I was, I remember that was probably the fastest I've ever skated. <laughs> And I was the first one in on flick. And if you, you can't see it, but like the whole melee formed and then Smitty and flick were going at it. And I was just on top of flick, like, and no one was able to get at me. So I had free reign on him. Not that I did a ton of damage to him because I wasn't, <laughs> but I remember like no one touched me for like four minutes of that whole thing. And it was like a bubble. Um, yeah, I remember I threw like a, flying elbow at him and then <laughs> it, was, it was awesome and i remember you know Lada out of the box with no with no shirt on yeah just looking, just looking at someone to grab like he's looking at everyone and Cody Pont and yeah uh, no that game was it, it was did that's an all-time when game. when you when you leave the bench when you jump over the boards what's in your mind or is it is it so quick that you don't you're just and, and and why did you jump over the bench did you see it start yeah. or i just yeah. i don't know i i saw him and smitty going at it and i you know you don't when you know it's, it's like an unwritten ruler right you can't touch yeah, you it. don't go up i don't know why i jumped the bench and just beelined it but uh and it seems to answer your question like now i think about there's no way i'm fighting Are you kidding me like <laughs> my hand will turn to dust or my shoulder. <laughs> but like then I, you just, a screw goes loose. You don't have time to think. And, yeah. you know, luckily I didn't get hit. I was doing the soft punching to the back of his head that didn't really do anything to him, but <laughs> no, you don't think. And, and um, it was fun. That was, uh, you know, looking back, you're almost happy. And guys, I remember that following year, we we're talking about that and be like, yeah, I like was the first one. And they're like, yeah, right. Meals. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no chance. Huh? Honestly, just yeah. go, go so it, watch it in slow motion. It took until this last summer to find out that Smitty actually started it. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I did you know I, that? 
I think so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or that he threw the first punch. There may have been right. jawing going on, yeah. whatever, but the actual first punch was thrown by Smitty. Yeah. I didn't know that until this last year, but Flick knew what he like. Oh yeah. Game, it was calculated. Every game we played him, he was doing something. And he knew what he was doing. We played did those you, all times a year. So uh, did you, what, did you see what happened between Herbie and Ted Dent? Did you look, were you, what were like, what? Cause they almost went at it. Herbie started climbing the glass. I, 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 I think I just, some of the videos I've watched yeah. commentated by you guys, I think I saw, but I remember guys, maybe Ford or someone's like, obviously if Herbie gets a hold of them. Oh. <laughs> like, I, I bet Herbie's. Know. I bet Herbie's hands are like twice the size of mine. Like I can't remember, but he would have just, just strung Ted Dent by the, uh, up by, you know, held him up just like this. Yeah. I think that's the one, the one uh, matchup we are going to win for sure. (laughs) Did you, you, was that the same year too? I mean, was that, what year was it that, uh, that the, the beach party took place? Was that that same year? Where it was, the weather was beautiful in March. It was 80 degrees every March. I don't know if it was the same year, but I think, yeah, I think that. I want to say it was because the team was kind of scuffling along. And I think we all, the team took off after that and and made it into the playoffs and unfortunately lost to Abbotsford. But that, I I think we all had pointed out that, oh, it it all took place because of that April 1st bench clear. But everybody was all the players were quick to say no actually last week we all went and played volleyball at the beach right that's uh, honestly that's that's why you have your halloween party and your ugly turtleneck party at uh loaded slate there or whatever the other uh what was what are some of the other bars i don't even know if they're the not crazy thing that we haven't got into either is i can't even picture milwaukee right now i haven't been there since my, I think my first year with Texas. I was going to say, probably yeah. you played with Texas. Yeah. Cause you've been pretty much, you've been on the East and, and way West. San, yeah. yeah. And San Diego didn't play Milwaukee on, yeah. when you were there. So, like, I can't even picture the, you know, my, I'm very, very close friends with uh, Tenorti. And he oh. was telling me, like, no, it's, you don't even know what, like, the whole stadium, uh, it's all built. I can't even picture it. You know, oh, like, sure. Yeah. You never were in, you probably, yeah, never in yeah, Panther Arena. You never saw the Pfizer Forum, you know, all of that stuff. Yeah. yeah the Bradley, the Bradley Center doesn't even exist. I know. I know. I know. I didn't even know what was going on until I saw a video of it and I got all mad and I'm like, what is going on here? <laughs> uh, yeah. I, 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 and me and my wife always talk because, you know, we were young, dating and uh, soon to be married, but those were, I, I, I think it's amazing to have the, you know, the practice rink the game rink, everyone living downtown. Like it was just, you go play, you do your work. And then, you know, where are we all going tonight? You know, and that was, those were some of my best memories. And and I love my kids, but it it was nice to have some freedom to, you want to stay out till three in the morning and and see what Scott Ford's going to be up to. Then we're going to do that. He's going to be stealing pizzas is what he's going to be doing. (laughs) (laughs) So we point this out uh, a fair amount uh, especially for for uh, major junior kids or uh, kids who didn't play college, this is college for them, right? Not the edu- from an educational standpoint, from but from a maturity, a development, uh, a social standpoint, this is college. They they all everyone lives in the same place. Everyone's going over to everyone else's room every night to play video games. I mean, you play hockey in the mornings, you have games on the weekends and here and there, but 
for the most part, it's, it's sort of a college life, except you don't have to go to class. Yeah, no, for sure. And, and there's a lot of guys that it's, maybe it's, that's it's, their downfall. I don't know. Yeah, that's right. I, we just had a leadership meeting last week and uh, the, our coach was like, how are the young guys doing? And Cal was like, well, the one kid, you know, he's only 18. He's like, he was having trouble doing his laundry. And I'm like, oh, I got, you know, my wife does 15 loads a day. I, I, right. <laughs> like, but you look back and you're like, he's 18, like he's college, you know, like that was the first nice. time I was away from home and doing your own laundry and stuff. And, um, you know, that's, that's a big thing with pro hockey too, is do your work, produce, but what do you do with your downtime? You know, and now I know a lot of it is video games and with the pandemic, who knows what you're doing, but you know, sometimes it's going, just getting fresh air, getting a cup of coffee and wasting an hour, just, you know, I don't know, learning about the city you're in. So like, that's a transition and a development too, in a way. So. Yeah. For, for one thing, that's what I was going to say. Charlie's going with where I was going. Go ahead, Charlie. Oh, I'm just going to say Fordo bemoans the state of the current prospects is that they have all they ever have known is hockey and like, they don't know how to have fun right? It's just hockey, hockey, hockey. They want to watch their shifts. They want to go home and they want to watch their shifts and they don't like, there's just no. Well, and on top of that, what you said about knowing the community, I mean, granted it's different when you're 20 years old and you're looking for people who are in your situation. So your friends are going to be your line mates or whatever, but when you get a little older and you start to have friends away from the rink and, and all of that stuff, I mean, the value in having, not only uh, just the simply making connections for future possibilities, but for having friendships that you don't need to talk about the third shift in the second period last night. And that's your whole conversation every oh, day. For sure. And to touch on what both of you said, I mean, watching shifts, I think some of that is, and you know, we have iPads in our rink and guys are after the game on their iPad. And it's like, like, just, you know, I'm like, we have a deck of cards. Like let's play, you know, on the bus, <laughs> My, you know, I, I joke that I only play the game now is to play car, you know, in the third period, I'm telling guys <laughs> I can't wait to play cars on the bus, you know, and um, you know, the older guys play cards, the younger guys are, are playing, you know, so you got now they're, they would in Toronto guys would bring in these huge suitcases. I'm like, what are you doing? And it's a video game console. Yeah, it's right. Like, oh my God. Like let's lose some money first to me. And then you could go, and then you could go play your video games. But do you become a mark, by the way, when you when you get some NHL money and you come back and get in the card game? Are you the guy they're all going after now? Uh, I remember I remember Toots in o, my first year in 0506, Jordan Tutu. I don't know that he believed in a bank. And <laughs> everybody said that he was always going to win because he could always buy back in. He always he had an endless supply of cash because yeah. he spent his whole first his rookie season, 0304, was all in the NHL, NHL, he, NHL had a, money, he had yeah. a full full year of NHL pay and and he like you were never gonna he outlasted everybody in the card game I yeah. guess but yeah. but everybody like he was the target because he had NHL money yeah no that's uh I don't know about that you know I haven't experienced too much of that in the card game but definitely money on the board and buying drinks at night and dinners that's you definitely get roped in and feel guilty about that. Even if you're only up for a day, they think you're a millionaire all of a sudden. Speaking of, <laughs> speaking of money on the board, let's go back to Kirk Muller. Do, yeah. do you think you'll ever see the money that he put on the board in no. Peoria? Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance. So, 
Explain that, though, because I I tell this story all the time. Charlie mentioned the bus to Peoria, but I I sat two seats behind Kirk on the bus and we got out of Milwaukee going to Peoria. We like we pulled out and we got by like the the Budweiser facility on on 43 and I could just see Kirk's shoulders just slump. Like, what did I do? Because he's got another three and a half hours of this now. Right. And he's going to Peoria to stay at the Mark, which Mark Twain, the Mark Twain hotel had the best pens in the league, but. Yeah. Um, and but they had the best, one of the best breakfasts too. Great At the Mark Twain. Yeah. But, but that's where he's going now, rather than sitting in first class on air Canada to go to wherever. I remember Peoria too. They had the, remember they would sing the national anthem and they throw the poppers. Yes, yes, yes. Like, come on, guys! Like yeah. the know, the Rockets' red glare. Yeah, Chicago, pop, pop, pop. Chicago has legit fireworks in these. <laughs> and they're throwing the, the, the things that you throw at your buddies <laughs> when you're the ten years snappers. old. Yeah, I throw, the, I throw at my five year old son. I, you know, <laughs> that's what's getting them going. Uh, so, uh, t- how much? I, uh, tell us how much did Kirk put up on the board for his his first game, which it, which was, it a was a win. That was a win. Uh, how much did he put up there? I don't even. How was it? A thousand? Was it more than that? We didn't get oh, it. I don't. I didn't realize it was that much. Yeah, I could. I'd believe it, but I didn't realize that. It was probably. I, I don't. Know, I would say it was probably five hundred or a thousand. I was going to help the rookie party quite a bit. Yeah, that would have been nice. <laughs> <laughs> would have had a you know, couple couple more drinks at the loaded slate or uh, <laughs> or wherever. Miguel Cuddy's still around. Is it still kicking? Uh, Miguel Cuddy's is still around. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Yep, yeah. it sure is. A lot of them have changed. A lot of those bars have changed names, but yeah. they are basically the same bar with a different, uh, you know, a few different decorations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in uh, twelve thirteen, you score your first NHL goal. Take us through what happened there. Who was it against? What was the play like? Do you still have the puck? Uh, just describe it. That's that's funny that you brought up the puck because I think it's funny. I'll tell you why because. So of all people, I played with them in Toronto, Dickie Kloon. Oh, yeah. Dickie spins, played here for us. I know. Spins back and uh, hits me right in, the, right in the slots. And it was a Bervosky in that's in Columbus, I think. Okay. Um, I think I put it over his glove. And we were losing 4-1, though, and it was, like, later in the third. So I didn't – that was just my personality. Like, I didn't, didn't know if I was allowed to celebrate. <laughs> and I – I've been up and down, up and down and scored a lot in Milwaukee, I guess, but everyone, no one, everyone thought I scored before. Yeah. So no one got the puck. At least no one got the puck then. And really? we were on the plane back and Webbs was like, that was your first goal. And I was like, yeah. He's like, Oh man, like what the heck? He's like, you didn't even sell. I'm like, oh, it was four one. I didn't want to be yeah, like, right. Made it four two. Huh? You know, four two with four minutes left in the game. So then they made a puck, you know, they presented with me and I'm like, there's no, they bought this puck from the pro shop. There's no way. <laughs> there's no way. Like they didn't stop the plane and turn the plane around and go get it. Like it's not a puck, but I don't care. Like whatever. But Dickie Clue, like, I remember Dickie would joke with me. He's like, see, man, like tell them to play us together. Cause we had success in Nashville and Toronto. I'm like, that was nine years ago, man. Like, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, n- no offense to Dick, Dickie, but like, there you are up in Nashville, Rich Clune's a fourth line player, right? You're playing fourth line, but you're, you're, you're not a fourth line talent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're, you're not given the opportunity to, 
to express what you can do, uh, so to speak. But yeah, no, I definitely look back and, and again, you know, Lane and, and, and Trotsy, unbelievable. Trotsy, un, everyone always asks me, how did you like, like un, best person I've ever played for, like such a great human being. You know, they gave me an opportunity, but I also look back and was like, you know, I ran the power play in Milwaukee. How come I couldn't run as maybe a second unit in Nashville any game? And, well, you know, whatever, it, it, it didn't work that way. But um, that, that's, that's the way it goes sometimes. But you know what? They, well, a lot of organizations, I would have never got the shot just to play. So I'm very thankful sure. and, and happy to see Trotsy win a Stanley Cup and him and Lane still doing, having good success. Since yeah. then, you have really traveled a lot. Uh, have they have they all been one year deals? Have you just been? Is that what you've been doing since then? Toronto was my only two year deal. That's a that's an eight. We're talking eight years now. Yeah, eight eight years since you left Milwaukee Na, slash Nashville, and you've been on one year deals ever since. Is that is that is is that what you want? I remember Drew McIntyre. The reason I bring up Drew McIntyre told me, and I think he was here right before you were. Uh, but he said, I'm only going to go on a one-year deal because I don't want to lock myself in. If I'm not in their plans at the NHL level, then let me go somewhere else where I can find a job, hopefully. And, yeah. and it, it, was, it, it was an interesting perspective for me, for me to, to understand that because certainly there's something to be said about security. Oh, absolutely. And I think, um, no, I would, I would have definitely rather had security and a couple year deal. Um, it worked out for me a lot of years where I had good years and it was always exciting on July one. You're like, I had a good year. I know I'm going to Is it exciting or is it stressful as all get out? If you had a good year, it was very exciting. Cause you know, you know, a couple of, you know, a couple of the years we won, uh, you know, in Texas, I won the Calder cup had an unbelievable year. I, I had a good feeling. And that's when I got my first one way with New York Rangers of all teams. Like that was awesome. But then the next that I didn't have a great year. Then I was nervous and I was like, Oh no, like didn't have a great year, made a lot of money, going to take a big pay cut, but it ended up being San Diego. One of the most, you know, my favorite time, you know, favorite years of all years. Sure. Um, and like you said, you know, the, I was 31 years old when I got my first and only two year deal. And, um, and ironically, Arizona had offered to bring me back for a year. And that was the first time besides getting qualified in Milwaukee and Nashville that I was re-offered to come back. And I said no, because I thought I, des- I had a really good year on a not-so-great team. I thought I deserved more. Right. And I remember my agent kind of pushing me to sign it because of stability. And I was like, I just this might be my last year of UFA coming off a good year i'm gonna go for it and luckily i got a very very nice deal with toronto for two years um and i'll tell you what not to say that when everyone wants to produce and get points especially when you're on the power play and sometimes that that negative energy comes in and when you have that second year i think it gives you more patience to be a extra good teammate if you will and i don't i don't mean to be like you know when i was a I was pouting when I wasn't scoring, but to have that extra year of security, you can just relax a little bit and, you know, enjoy the team. And really the team success is the most important thing. And that was end up being our Calder cup, second Calder cup and first one with Toronto. And, and we had a lot of really good players that all finished with like 50, 40, you know, points and we ended up winning. And that was just an, just, 
and and you win it against your former team. Yeah, yeah, that probably was nice. some guys on that team that had you had played with four years yeah. earlier. And those guys were still the ones producing. It was crazy. Dowling, Morin, McKenzie. Yeah, and they were they were they single handedly made that series go to seven games. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Um, I, yeah, I can't believe it went to seven. But I was we, just gonna say, uh, tell it like that was the last game of hockey that year. Yep. Anywhere the NHL had finished, yeah. and the, the that game seven, which ended up not being close, uh, was brought. It was on NHL Network. Uh, it was a big deal. What is it? What is the stress like for a player for that game, knowing this is it? Like, yeah. if we don't, like, we either go down in history as the Calder Cup champions, or and you'd already won one, so you bring some experience. And you've got, obviously, you know, I'm looking at that roster. It's like all veteran guys. Yeah, it was crazy. Um, it was crazy. But uh, what was it like to play in literally the ultimate do or die game? Um, I mean, it was nerve wracking before, but it was also a sense of, I think we were all like pretty pissed off. Like, like how did we put ourselves in? Like, we were that, like, I'm not, I'll say we were that good. Like, we right. were there, our goal. Garrett Spore, Kelvin Pickard was our backup. He's an NHL goalie. He's our backup goalie. Our D were unbelievable. Our forwards, we were had really good veterans. Like we were just a solid team. And Texas, they found a way to beat us. You know, every other it flip-flopped every other game. And it was almost like this. There's no way we're losing. Like we can't lose. We've won all year. Like I think we lost under, I don't even know how many games we lost that year. It was crazy. 18 in regulation. Yeah, it was. We were a very good hockey team and we put that pressure on ourselves. And so it was nervous, but no, like we had Johnson who was unbelievable that playoffs, like Andreas Johnson, he was unbelievable. And we were just like, Johnny, like, let's go pick it up. And I think he had two and one that game or something. And yep, he did, you're right. Yeah. Um, so it was nerve. The, the waiting was nervous. And then once we got that first goal, we, you know, calmed down and, and, I think it was what is it five or six to one? Six to one. I'm looking. I'm looking at the box score right now. Yeah, actually, I, I, actually Andreas Johnson had had two goals and an assist, but he had ten goals, fourteen assists in the playoffs. And he missed. Uh, I think he missed four games too. Yeah, you might. Yeah, uh, but but I'm looking too at at yeah, it's a six one game, games. and there's there's only two penalties in the game. So yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a beautifully played game on top of it. Yeah. And that goal they scored actually never went in. I don't even know. <laughs> it never, it never crossed the line. And it, and it, it was three nothing with like eight minutes left, and it was a scramble. Never crossed the line, and they called it a goal. It never, it never. The puck ended up getting shot out, and Johnny next shift came down, scored, made a four one, and we're like, all right, it's over. We're good. Control, yeah. three one. We're like, there's no way. Like we're playing a perfect game, and you call that a goal, and now they got momentum and. Out of, and out of all the cities to win the Calder Cup in, I got to believe Toronto was just fantastic to be there. Awesome. I mean, every city's no matter where you're going to win it, it's going to be awesome. But Toronto, who hasn't won a Stanley, like they're the city of non-winners, right? Sort of, so, so to speak, until the Raptors won a couple of years yeah. ago. But especially from a hockey perspective, it must have been just fantastic and just treated like royalty, I'm yeah, sure. That, that's the thing. Like you, it's as close maybe even in some organizations the nhl you're treated it's you're treated almost like you're in the nhl and i remember we had a celebration in the room 
they put us all on a limos right to the real sports right downtown there um, by, you know, the Air Canada Center. I think it's Rogers Place now, but um, had a huge, you know, they put all our families after the whole celebration, they put them all on limos, brought them there. So we all just get off the limo, go right into real sports. And there's just tons of people and our, all our families have champagne already waiting for us. Like, and it, you know, they just, yeah, they might have, I think they jumped the gun game six. They had this all planned and we, ended up <laughs> but they had a party set up and they did it right. And I, I remember some of the price tags they said of what we spent that night for, you know, the American league is pro, but it's still the, it's not the NHL. It's and not the NHL, right. Toronto uh, and MLSC didn't really care too much that night. So <laughs> no, no, right. They, they definitely did it right. It, it was, it was awesome. It I was, mean, not to, not to knock on, uh, on Toronto, on the Maple Leafs or anything, but what they spent on you guys that night uh, was easily surpassed in some of the wasted contracts that they've given out over, uh, you know, <laughs> previous years. Uh, but. Charlie, do you have anything else? Uh, I do. I got to ask you about your brother-in-law who was an American hockey league official and, but nobody knew this. I'm the one who told Lane that your brother-in-law, uh, because you just like, I don't know if you didn't want people to know, uh, you were always sort of a quiet guy and I can understand why you wouldn't want to know. But after I, after I told him, he's like, really? I was like, Oh, you didn't know that. Okay. Please don't, don't tell him that. I don't think he wants you to know that he, that uh, he knows. He's like, well, you better give us some effing calls or something. Like that. Well, that's the thing. I didn't want, you know, I didn't want Lane would shatter his elbow every time a bad call was <laughs> made. I didn't want it to be an expense to my brother-in-law because I thought maybe that elbow would be coming to the back of my head, but uh, <laughs> now Chris, he, he refed a few games and I always, you know, didn't want to say it too much because uh, he made a bad call. Everybody would be all pissed off at me, but the crazy thing was is the his buddies who he made throughout refing then became very familiar with me. So even now I've had guys, older refs, which I don't recognize a few of them anymore, but guys still come up to me and his nickname's Chewy and they go, how's Chewy doing? And, you know, so right then, and I'll, you know, okay, well, give me some, I need a power play. I'm older, you know, I'll <laughs> drop the puck or kick this guy out because, you know, me and, and, you know, Chris and, but it, that was pretty special. And like we talked about before, he, he did his last game two years ago and I, he made it. So it was against, you know, ref and me. So that was really cool yeah. and to go out and his whole family and my parents came, got a nice picture, but he, uh, he was up in the NHL for a bit and um, he had two way contract, just like us and grinded his way and did well. I think he maybe ref one or 200 games. Um, so he got some cool experiences, him and my sister and, their kids and you know now he's doing medical sales in buffalo but it was always kind of not nerve-wracking but awkward at times I he bet it was penalties at me i think one time he waved off a goal which i really lost it and then my sister would yell at him and my dad would yell <laughs> at my sister and, well, it was funny um but, you know, it, it was really so cool. hold on your and, sister would yell at you at her husband not at you or no, was she yell I, she yelling at you never my sister always yelled at him never yelled at him. <laughs> Nobody likes the ref. <laughs> not even the Nobody, not even, the ref's not even wife. his wife. If he's if he's dressed dressed in the stripes, he's yeah, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he always, my dad always always said he made bad calls. Always. <laughs> so he, he, he Chris could never win. I felt well, bad. Hey, every every father of uh, uh, of every father's daughter's husband is making the uh, bad calls, right? Like yeah. no one is good enough for his daughter. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that's, that's funny. funny that you, that's, you know, it's crazy. You guys, uh, 
asked me to come on and my best friend um, sent me a text. He was going through his dad's box of collection of, and he found my bobblehead. So that was funny too. Oh like, yeah. I, I've got your bobblehead. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can't I was going to say, I'm sitting right in front of it here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I can see it. You're, you're right next to Martin Luther up in my uh, bobblehead collection. So that's high. That's, I mean, high esteem, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah, just that's crazy good. and ironic that the time, you know, that, that he would text me two days ago. So yeah, that's, that's really good. Chris, when you look back at your time in Milwaukee, what uh, what stands out for you? I just, first and foremost, it, it was the start of all of this. So I'm still playing 13 years. And, you know, I started in Lake Erie and Cleveland, but I only lasted a season in Milwaukee. I, I turned into a professional. It turned like you asked me when, when, when does it turn into your life or when do you become pro and Milwaukee, um, what year was it? I mean, you know, easy answer would be when I got called up, but like, that's when a, a coach and organization started believing in me and was like, all right, we're going to give this kid time to show what he can do. And I went from a 22 year old rookie to, you know, an engaged young man playing NHL games, realizing this was going to be the source of my income, providing for my family. And this was going to be my lifestyle, my dedication. And, you know, that started at the Bradley center, basically on water street and, and you know, living with Chet, Chet and, you know, uh, Mark Santarelli and Nick Spalling and Fordo who's there now, like Fordo's he's talks to Sasha still, you know, on Instagram and, and you know, if I would see him, we would just pick up right where we left right where off. Right left off, yeah. And it's, it was, it's been the start of this lifestyle that, you know, almost kind of came to an end. Now, during this pandemic, we talked in the summer. You said, you know, are you going to play? I had no idea I was going to play. I was literally walking into a job interview when Lehigh called. And, I mean, that's, a, that's 13 years of, of a lifestyle and an identity that almost came to an end. But you know, I look back on it and, and that identity, that lifestyle, now a father of four started in Milwaukee with you guys. So that my wife and I always talk about, we have to come back and see the city and spend the weekend. I mean, I never even experienced Milwaukee in the summer. And I heard that's, you know, the best time to, to spend it. But my, my years were at the bitter, you know, bitter cold coming out of the local <laughs> slate, walk into my apartment with Florida and getting yelled at by Lane and, you know, the practice <laughs> like those are my memories. And, you know, that it's, it's been the start of this over a decade, you know, I've been playing hockey and seriously, it started in Milwaukee when it became a, a job, you know, my life. So, you know, I'll, everyone always asks, what's your favorite city? You know, and I, I have, I've played, I think my career, I've played in the best cities out of anyone, San Diego twice, Toronto, Austin, Texas, you know, um, played in Tucson, which was a really cool city, but Milwaukee is different. Like Milwaukee is, I think it's Milwaukee, cold. I think Milwaukee kind of like Buffalo, right? I was like, just going to say, I bet it's cold, a lot like Buffalo. Cold. Everyone thinks it's not great, but then when you get there, it's like, this is awesome. Like when you know what restaurants, what bars to go to, the food, the culture, you know, my, Sundays, if we didn't play, go to the wicked hop and watch the Packers game at three, have brunch. Like that, that's like on Sunday, right? Like, that's, that's what you would do. You know, when you, you're an American, you know, Buffalo, if you're not Bill's mafia, like get out of the city, you know what I mean? Like, so, <laughs> um, 
it, it's, it's just tons of culture and it's, it's, you can't compete with the beach, but um, Milwaukee is, is an unbelievable place that we, me and my wife grew up in. I tell you what, uh, we wish you continued success. We, uh, we hope that uh, somehow you make it back someday and uh, we'd love to see you in person. Um, keep up the good work in Lehigh Valley. Thank you. It's, it's so funny to think that you and Cal are there. I know. It's, it, it's really amazing. And it's two, we are uh, two and three, the oldest players in the league. Molson has us beaten Hershey. Oh, oh Matt Molson well, does. Yeah. I look at and you, would, and you would play against him. So take him out yeah. and then he's out temporary. You know, right? get, that, get that eye <laughs> of the tiger you had jumping over the boards in 2012 and, and see, <laughs> see that now you're up to two. I look at Cal in the, in the room and the way he walks and I'm like, I do not look like that. Like, and I'm younger than you, but he just shakes his head. He's like, yeah, but I could skate better still. And I'm like, but you look like an old man. Like I, I don't look like an old man. Like he yeah, looks like an old man. <laughs> really? But he had back surgery and stuff. So yeah, I suppose right. I, I was going to say, I, I always tell the story, his rookie year, he comes in and there's a, uh, a playoff game in Iowa and we get off the bus and a guy named Paul Brown asks him, why aren't you growing a playoff beard? And he says, I'm trying. <laughs> Couldn't do I it. He, I think he's still trying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, yeah, he's, he's a young kid at heart too. Like that's, that's uh, maybe that's what's keeping us going. Like I, I love, I want to play cards with the young kids now. Um, and we were playing cards and, got a text because he's living with his wife but he wants to play video games and a bunch of young guys are playing video games so we're keeping even though we're old as crap we're still enjoying the young kids whether it's video games or taking their money and cards or just trying to keep them out of trouble good for you man good for you stay well the best to your family and uh, and take care good to see you guys thanks for having me on that's thanks, a former admiral star chris mueller and thank you for listening to this milwaukee admirals podcast 